Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a returning guest, author and um, Facebook social media guru, and just all around great guy, Drew Young. Welcome back to the podcast, Drew. Thanks for having me, Richard. Drew is on episode 276. Um, where he talked about his new book that's out called, tell our listeners the name of your book and where to find it. The Meaning of Your Mission. And you can find it on Amazon. It's there for the whole, whole world to see. <laughs> and just if it, people want to go back to 276 and f- hear the whole podcast, just give our listeners an overview of the focus of that book. Yeah. So I wrote it through the lens of my experience as an earlier return missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I came home due to mental illness. And um, particularly anxiety and depression, and and the book is basically my my way of helping people understand and, and discover what their mission in life is, regardless of the challenges they face. And so I try and debunk the stigmas around um, suicide and and mental illness and perfectionism, and just help people feel like you know what this is a safe place for you to come. And I've experienced things in my my journey and my mission that uh, have been tough to handle. And I'm just here to kind of help walk you along that journey as well. It's a great book. And um, I've seen many people share it on social media. I know of one early release missionary uh, put it on his Instagram story. It's got 42 ratings on Amazon, perfect five star. I just encourage everybody to go check out that book. The principles in that book are broader than just early release missionaries. It's about helping people in our church that just have difficult things that come their way and help them to feel um, accepted love and de-shame some of these more difficult situations. Speaking of de-shame, we're going to pivot to a Facebook post I saw on August 26, where Drew opened up about his own pornography. And um, that post has a, you know, 400 plus likes, four, 140 comments. And that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast is, and it's sort of drew, you know, working through this and my perspective as a YSA Bishop, trying to help people, um, probably thousands of interviews, um, trying to help the men and women in my ward to solve this. And, and we're just going to talk about that. And the purpose of this podcast is if you're working through pornography, that you will hear some things that will help you. And if you are a spouse of somebody um, working through this, that you will have added, added perspective. And if you are a parent or a local leader or even a young parent that wants to protect your kids from pornography, our hope and our prayer before we went live is there'll be things that, that will specifically help you. And um, that's our goal for the podcast. But it's, it's people like Drew that you know are willing to talk about it because I think that's often step one is taking the shame away. Um, I kind of talk about Satan wins a little bit when we mess up, but he really wins if he can separate us from heavenly parents and feel they're outside of their love and we're no longer have any worth. And um, I'm going to, we've done just, we've done four podcasts focused on pornography. And I'm just going to reference those. If you want to go and listen to those, we did uh, episode 190, Joe and Amy Pearson, who both came on. Joe had a, two-decade pornography challenge during his marriage that he solved. And they both talk about that in a very vulnerable way. On Just on SoundCloud alone, 11,700 have listened to that episode. They're two of my heroes. They have a great marriage. And Joe 
talks about ultimately how to solve that. We had Dr. Tim Halshead in episode 205, who's active LDS, and he has some principles that help. We had a member, uh, someone who's not a member of our church on the podcast in episode 274, Tim Ringgold, and he talks about the role of music and how that can help solve addictions. It was broader than just pornography, but fascinating. And we had um, Tom, um, I'm going to missay Tom's name, episode 280, Tom, M-U-E-N-C-H. And he is married and working through a pornography challenge, just felt like it was appropriate to share his story. But why don't you just, you know, thanks again for being on the podcast, Drew. Do you want to start by just reading this post? or Sure. And then maybe... Just start wherever yeah. you want to start. No, I want. I just want to thank you, Richard, for all the good that you do, and it's such a pleasure to be here again, and to hopefully help somebody who's struggling today. Um, but yeah, this is the post that I that I wrote on, like Richard said, August twenty sixth. From the ages of twelve to seventeen, I dealt with pornography addiction. I've never talked about this publicly, but in the hopes of lighting the path a little brighter for those who need it. I feel compelled to be vulnerable. I got involved in it because I was severely bullied. Day in and day out, I experienced emotional pain, soul-crushing loneliness, and a feeling that I'd never be good enough in life. I turned to pornography because I thought it would fill the emotional space that was empty within me. It didn't. I turned to pornography because I thought it would help me learn what love was, because I didn't feel any. It didn't. Pornography did the exact opposite of what I thought it would do. It taught me what true love wasn't. It left me feeling more lonely and forgotten. It made me feel shame, remorse, and guilt. It wasn't until I started building my personal relationship with Jesus Christ that my eyes were opened and I learned who I was and what my future could look like. Christ taught me what true love is. Christ helped me overcome my addiction. Christ loved me through my pain. Christ saved and redeemed me. To anyone out there who is bound by the chains of addiction, sin, or negative habits, reach up and reach out. Jesus Christ died for you. If you were the only person on earth, he would have still gone to Gethsemane and Calvary for you. Your heavenly parents love you and want you to come back to them. Repentance isn't an event, it's a process, but it's the most beautiful and merciful process we could ever need in this world. In addition, there are amazing professional resources as well you can access to help you. I'm your friend. Jesus is your friend. We believe in you. Keep going. Don't give up. It's a great post. <laughs> um, what was it like to press the post button, <laughs> knowing that this part of your life, you have a lot of people on social media that are connected with you, and you've shared yeah. this in Facebook groups with thousands and thousands of people. What was it like to press the the post button. It was scary, um, to be honest. I mean, I've I've been vulnerable a lot, a lot of about a lot of things in my life. Um, you know, mental illness and returning from my mission early, and and uh, perfectionism and all this stuff that isn't talked about a ton, but you know, is starting to be talked about more. And uh, but pornography is something different. It kind of has a special stigma related to it, and. Um, Obviously, I'm I'm married. I have a wife. We have a new baby, and uh, I didn't feel like I could post this until 
my wife and I were on the same page and everything was, was looking good. And I was in a place where I felt confident. And so just one day I had this thought come to my mind that, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. And luckily I was guided and, and led to say what I said. And, um, it's been a, a blessing to see the response. And obviously it's, it's, um, I mentioned in the post, you know, 12 to 17 were the, the formative years of my addiction, but it's definitely been a part of me, you know, throughout, um, throughout my life. And even into my marriage, it's still been a little bit of a part of me, but I, I still work every day to, to overcome it and to be honest with my spouse and pray for help and seek guidance from my Bishop and all those things. And so, yeah, the initial post was a little scary, but I'm grateful that I did it because our missions, you know, near my mission research is to help people feel loved and accepted and understood regardless of what they go through. And so that was my purpose and my intent in posting it. Talk more about your wife. Cause I think a natural reaction from any spouse would be to protect their spouse or not bring, or even a feeling that we need to project that our marriage is perfect and we're both perfect. And I don't want to use that word too much because I don't think anybody does that, but there's a, certainly this pressure to sort of, project that everything is good. hundred percent. And so a spouse might be nervous about that or even legitimately wanting to protect their spouse um, by being looked at differently if they're vulnerable like that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my wife and I met uh, when I was going to school in Provo and we had probably been dating for about a month or two. And I just felt like, you know, I need to get this out in the open just so that she's aware of it. Because I think that it's important that even though, you know, I honestly, I think that what's in the past should stay in the past in terms of, you know, before you get married, um, you don't want to bring up past stuff, but in terms of the, the heavy stuff that, you know, concerns sexuality or intimacy or something like that, I think it's important just to bring it up because you're about to make a, a really long-term commitment to somebody. And I think it's important that they understand you and know you and, and so I felt compelled to just bring up my, my past usage of pornography. And, um, she listened to it and said, well, is it a part of, you know, is it a part of something you struggle with now? And I said, no, she said, okay, that's okay. Um, and then as we, we got married about a year later and, um, out of the blue one day, it just kind of came back into my life. Uh, I hadn't struggled it from the ages of 18 to 22. It just was gone out of my life. And then all of a sudden one day, I, I still to this day, don't know how it happened, but it just kind of crept back in. And, um, I started to kind of experiment with it a little more and, and, um, it turned into a, a habit that I had to, you know, quickly tell her about again, because I wanted to be accountable and I didn't, I didn't want this to become a part of my life again. Cause I knew the damage that it could have. And so I, I brought it up to her and said, listen, I, I saw pornography today. And I said, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but you know, it's something I need to tell you about because I don't want this to be a part of our marriage. I don't want this to be a part of my life. And she said, okay, um, thanks for telling me, you know, let's, let's move past this. Um, but long story short, you know, I'm 24 now and, um, the past two years I've had run-ins with pornography and it's been something that I've had to, um, learn how to, you know, use techniques and use um, prayer and use, you know, professional resources to, to rid myself of it because it's just, it's not hard to find. Um, and especially with, you know, this year with COVID and 
you know, mental illness has shot through the roof and suicide has shot through the roof. And so many people just feel lonely and bored and anxious and stressed. And so um, they're turning to these outlets that help them feel good in the moment. And um, it wasn't until, and I told you this before we did the podcast, but I, it wasn't until I, I blocked everything around me. I filtered everything. So I put a filter on my phone. And then a couple of days later, I thought to myself, I need to put a filter on my wife's phone because not for her, but for me. Uh, because for anyone listening to this who struggles with pornography or knows someone that does, um, they'll go great lengths to find it if they want it. And so making sure that, you know, things are safe in your home and in your environment is really important, especially for me. That was a huge, huge part of, you know, getting rid of it. So, you know, we blocked things that needed to be blocked and um, it's been a huge help to me. And, you know, we're very transparent. We're, we're very um, truthful in our marriage and we try to be and, and it's been a blessing to us. Thanks for being so honest. There's a lot of people listening that are just want to reach their arms out to you and say, thanks for being so <laughs> honest because they need to hear people walking this road. Talk about um, how your wife is handling that because um, she's not here, but just this is you kind of talking to spouses. It could be a male or a female spouse mm -hmm. with the other spouse working on this. Any, just how is she handling it? Uh, she handles it well. I mean, I obviously, when I have told her in the past of a relapse, you know, it's, I can see that it's, um, emotionally hard for her to take in as it would be for me. You know, if, if I was in her position and my spouse came to me and said, you know, I viewed pornography, I would feel a little bummed, you know, like, did I do something wrong or, you know, what's why, you know? Um, but she's, I think she's so forgiving and understanding because I've made it a point to tell her about it since the beginning. Um, and I think that's important for relationships, regardless of age or gender. If you have struggles, you want to make them open early so that you can work on it together. Cause that's the point of a relationship to do things together. And so having her, um, be there with me has been a huge help. Uh, in fact, we have this mirror in our bedroom and, um, I told her, I said, I want to have 30 porn free days. And at the end of those 30 days, we go and we leave the baby with grandma and we go to a, a hotel and for the night and have dinner and, and go swimming and stuff like that. She has a great idea. And so doing something like that, where you're accountable and your spouse, your partner can see it because every night I need to put a check mark on there. I don't put a check mark. And I said, if I don't put a check mark, then, you know, that something happened today. And, um, I've just been so lucky the past, you know, few weeks to have a lot of check marks. And so I think just having that accountability, whatever works for you and your, and your partner, your spouse, uh, because deep down people that view pornography don't really want to, um, they want to, in the sense of releasing the stress and feeling pleasure and, but it's so momentary. Um, it's so fleeting and I don't hold judgment for those that do view it, but I know that there's so many ways that we can work around it. If we're really, really trying and really praying that we can overcome it and things will come into our heads that we never even considered. Um, like I mentioned with the, the phone filter and blocks that I have with my wife, 
you know, I would have just thought, oh, I'll just block it on my phone. You know, that's fine. Um, but then I, you know, I felt a couple of days later, the spirit kind of guiding me, you know, you need to block it on her phone too, because you never know, you know, when the urge will come and you'll want to try and find it any way you can. So, um, anyways, my wife has been a huge help to me and for any spouses out there, anyone in a relationship, just trying to be accountable and, and being true to yourself to overcome this is, is so important. One of the things, great, great answer there. And on a very complex subject that I think a lot of people haven't or have anybody rarely hear anybody talk about it. That's actually walking that road. Jill and Amy Pearson in 190 episode 190, she kind of talked about um, betrayal trauma. Mm. It was a term for me is when your spouse, um, the betrayal. And I think one of the things that um, I like about your answer is um, your wife, and this is advice you know, I think your spouse needs to know your road early on. I mm. think there's pain in that. Obviously, when your spouse finds you've messed up, you don't like to tell her and she doesn't like to hear it. Yeah. And that's, but the but going 10 years or 15 years or five years and having this challenge and not talking about it and then finding out later how long it's been going on, that can, that can be pretty painful mm-hmm. um, and can lead to, and I think with Amy, she talks about ongoing betrayal trauma. So it may have not just been that black and white that mm. I'm. So talk about men and women listening that this has been going on. And I realize you don't haven't walked this road. That's been going on five or 10 years. They had a problem before they got married. They thought, you know, I thought the problem would be solved with marriage. It was for a while. And then they went back and slipped up and have been consistently slipping up for multiple years, but haven't talked to anybody. Mm. Do you have any thoughts for those mm. people? Yeah, that's, I'm pausing because I can feel the pain. You know, I, I can empathize with that because it is really hard to talk to people about it just because it's such a, a shame-filled experience. Um, regardless of gender, regardless of religion, you know, it's just pornography is, is, is a tough subject. Um, usually because it involves, you know, not necessarily another person physically, but another person emotionally. And, you know, when you're in a marriage or um, a serious relationship, you're supposed to be serious with that person, not with other people, you know, whether it's virtual or physically. And so to anyone who's having a hard time talking about it or who hasn't come out to their spouse about it or, or you know, something like that, I would just advise to pray about it and talk to an ecclesiastical leader about it, your bishop, um, because he can receive revelation to help you and your family. And, and then pray for strength to tell who you need to tell. Um, there's been many nights where, you know, I've, I've relapsed and I've been down on my knees saying, oh, please don't make me tell my wife, you know, just like, please don't make me tell my wife because after you do it, you realize why you shouldn't have. Um, it's when you're in the moment that you're just kind of like, oh, it's not a big deal, you know? And then it's after you do it and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And, but luckily, Heavenly Father opens up paths for you to tell, some, tell people. He, he softens hearts. He, he makes it um, the opportunity available for you to say it in a way that 
is truthful in a, but in a way that doesn't necessarily crush the other person. Um, and obviously it may be different. I mean, if you've, if you've been struggling with this for years and years and you've been keeping it a secret and it's been bottling up, then that might be a more difficult conversation to have. Um, but in terms of just getting it out in the open, just, I would pray about it and, and see if, you know, your spouse, you know, your partner, you know, you probably don't want to tell them when they're tired. You probably don't want to tell them when they're hungry, but you probably, you want to make sure that you tell them in a space that's safe, um, that's private and where you can just kind of be honest and say, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to end this and get this out of my life. And I want you to be a part of my recovery. It's a great answer. I echo your answer. I think that personal revelation will help you. And I think talking to your Heavenly Father about how to, uh, how to solve this and how to include your spouse in the conversation, I think talking to an ecclesiastical leader, um, helping you figure out how to solve this, and I think that helps perhaps when you open up to your spouse that you've been talking to your ecclesiastical leader and that you're serious about this. I think it's it's probably a storming period where you're going to, it's the new norm of your marriage and it's mm-hmm. going to, and I just would advise both to go slow and not make any rash decisions. I, I, I would encourage the couple to focus on goals. Are their goals still the same? Do they still want to be married to each other? Mm-hmm. Do they still want to etern- spend eternity together. Do they still want to, you know, be great parents, these kids and, I think if you can kind of go to the goals and what are and find that there's actually still common goals there, and then I think you can get through this. So I think my hunch is we've normalized a little bit the YSAs talking to their bishop about pornography because that was ongoing in my YSA assignment, yeah. and I'll talk more about that. And you and maybe you can share some thoughts about why you thought this would end at marriage, but you know, I'm not the wise once they're not YSAs anymore, obviously I'm not talking to my YSAs after mm-hmm. they're married, but my guess is that, and you may be some of those that have had a challenge with pornography like Drew and um, thought getting married would solve that. And then it sort of adds to your load because you're back in the same spot and the shame and and now you've got a spouse involved and it's just can be a really difficult spot. So I think, I don't quite know what advice to give, but I think you've got to pragmatically go into marriage if you've had a pornography challenge to recognize that still could happen. I don't know if it's likely to happen. I don't know if most situations it happens, um, but I just think you've got to recognize that the, the reasons why pornography came into your life in the first place, it wasn't a desire to rebel. It probably wasn't a sexual thing. It was just like it was for Drew. It wasn't about sex. It wasn't about rebellion. It wasn't about turning your back on God. It wasn't about going down a dark path. It was a coping mechanism. And that's certainly my experience as I've thought about this with the YSAs. The very best men and women in my ward, some of them were working on this and they were the best of the best. And as I gave them blessings and saw them serve and saw their gifts to the church and the society, their hearts are so good. And their desire to do right is so good. And the spirit is with them, but this is part of their life. Yeah. And it's, it's a need for, con- and I talk about the iceberg concept. Um, that's a good parent. A good principle for all of us, parents, local leaders, as well as people working on stuff. Often what we see above above the iceberg is sin, 
But often to solve that, you've got to get below the iceberg. And so if I made my conversations with the YSAs just about pornography, often that wasn't helpful. Mm. It was sort of, okay, we know that's what's going on here. Let's set that on the shelf and let's sort of talk about what's going on. Yeah. And that's when I felt um, I was able to help the YSAs. And often yeah. it was a therapist, the 12-step class. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, just like in your journey, it wasn't really about porn. Yeah. And I don't think it is now. Yeah. And we're not, neither of us are saying that means it's okay or it's not a sin. Mm -hmm. It just, it gives context for why this challenge is so prevalent today. 100%. And I'm 60 and I know pretty confidently that if I were Drew's age, that I would be where Drew is. Mm -hmm. I had no access. I'm wired just the same. And you, your generation is just the first generation dealing with 24-7, something I didn't have any access. And the access sort of came, obviously, as I was later and just had a foundation to stay clear of that. But I, I, I believe Drew and all of you that are in this age group are the leaders, the fathers, the mothers, and the parents of tomorrow. And we'll just, it's peaking with your generation, in my opinion, because you have you've walked this walk and you know this road and you'll be able to help your own children. Mm -hmm. And they may never know why you get it and why are so helpful. You may or may not open up about your own journey with this, but I think you will help. And that's why I think it's peaking because you can't get more than 24 seven access. That's <laughs> it's yeah. there. Um, so those are just some thoughts on that. Um, talk and um. I want to talk about, I wrote an article for the Ensign. I'll, I'll link it in the episode description because this is what I, you know, when I was being released as a wife, I said, Bishop, I actually talk more about pornography than LGBTQ. And obviously I'm more in the LGBTQ space with this podcast than I'm in the pornography space. But this was, I just had two gay men in the ward. So, you know, there was just two guys we were talking about LGBTQ with. There were, you know, there was just a lot more of this, uh, you know, in our YSA ward, I felt like, and I've been public with this, that maybe 60% of the active men, you know, were working on this. And as I write in this, you could look in the end sign in the YSA digital section in October, my articles titled seven tips for overcoming pornography use. And I'll just read the first paragraph. When I was set apart as a Bishop of a young single adult ward, Thank you, President Evans, for setting me apart and leaving the office. There was a line of young single adults outside my office door waiting to meet me. And I'll just add, I wasn't from that footprint, so I didn't know any of them. Guess what we discussed in that first interview? Pornography. And for the next three years, trying to help young adults overcome this habit was a big aspect. This is my calling, as I knew I needed to learn as much as I could. I fasted, prayed, attend the temple, counseled with other leavers, leaders. Reviews, reviewed all the available resources, attended addiction recovery classes, which was awesome, by the way, and learned from those working to find recovery. Let me just add that much of what I learned was from the people. I would often shift the conversation and say, tell me what you're learning. Tell me what I can tell to other YSAs that is helpful for you. And that was fascinating for me. And so I wrote these seven tips and we may get back to it. but. Um, in one of the most spiritual moments I've ever had in the bishop's office, one night after a night of long interviews, 
um, it's just me alone in the office. And I was just sitting in a chair in the middle of the office and I pulled up another chair and I pretended Heavenly Father was sitting there. Hmm. And I just spoke out loud to him. And I said, Heavenly Father, did you know it'd be so hard for these great people to solve this? And what I was thinking in my mind is you've, you've miscalibrated here. You've either made it too accessible or you've given them too many hormones. And <laughs> one of those is out of balance here because it's such a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect any answer, but I had a couple really clear answers. And one of the answers is I love them. And I talk, I just, I really feel strongly that Satan doesn't win if you mess up with pornography. Satan wins if he, you believe the lie and reside in the shame that you're outside of God's love, that you're worthless, that your life mission has changed, that you're caught by Satan, that you're one of those that'll be this, you just all those labels don't apply to you. And so that, and the other thing that came to my mind was this idea that I flooded the earth with temples because I knew the earth would be flooded with pornography. Hmm. And I really felt strongly that temple attendance is part of the road to recovery. And I may talk more about that, but some YSAs felt like going to the temple would help them even with a pornography problem. Hmm. And some felt it would help them to restrict their temple attendance as a motivation to solve it. And I learned to not, there's nothing in the handbook that says what you're supposed to do on that. Right. And I just learned to try to work with the YSAs and the spirit and say what the goal here is to solve pornography. So how can the temple help you? Hmm. And not to just have the same formula for every YSA. Right. And that, so I'll send, kind of send it back to you if that's got some thoughts that have come to your mind about all of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I felt that vicious moment. <laughs> it was really powerful. And, you know, it just made me, it made me think of experiences I've had when I've relapsed in the past and just been in tears saying, you know, please forgive me, please forgive me. And I've been forgiven, you know, and um, our heavenly parents are so merciful and I don't understand how they're so merciful, but they are. And they love us and, and they want us to, to come back to them. And I remember one night, it was a while ago, but um, I, was, I was trying to, to get past this and I was having some struggles and I was just kind of like, Heavenly Father, why do you keep forgiving me? Like, I don't deserve this. Why do you keep forgiving me if, if I've said, you know, I'll never do it again, then I do it again. I promise this time I'll, I'll be clean and then I'm not clean. You know, why do you, why do you always give me so many chances? And kind of like your experience, I, I felt words come into my mind um, because that's what love is. And um, it's helped me be a more forgiving person. I think that those who are forgiving people have been forgiven themselves. And I've been forgiven more times than I can count. Um, and I'm so grateful for the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for second chances. And, you know, I'm probably on like my 500,000th chance, like just because of a merciful God. And um, 
And sometimes, you know, my wife tells me, why is it so easy for you to just forgive people who are mean or whatever? And I just think about it and it's because I've been forgiven so many times. So how could I not forgive somebody else? That's cool. Yeah. And if I, if I don't forgive somebody else, then I don't expect Heavenly Father to forgive me. And, and so maybe that, and that includes forgiving myself. And that's the hardest part, I think, with pornography uh, or with shame is you've done something stupid that you know you shouldn't have done. And so you think that you're not forgivable. Uh, but once Heavenly Father forgives you, once you feel that peace, it's time to, to move on and say, you know what? I've learned this and this from this experience and I can move forward and uh, forgive yourself. And I was thinking of one other thing that may be of help to people going through this is we don't talk a lot about Heavenly Mother in the church um, for whatever reason. You know, maybe if we did, people would desecrate our name or something like that. And we don't want that to happen. But I think Heavenly Mother is an integral part of overcoming these weaknesses for people. Uh, because a lot of the times, sometimes that, you know, people stop viewing pornography because they think of their own mother and how their own mother would, would feel. Or they think of their, their spouse or their grandmother or their sister or something like that, a, a woman presence in their life because women have this effect on us, regardless of if you're female or male. We all have a motherly figure in our lives that can help guide us through so many situations. And so I think in this particular challenge with pornography, accessing Heavenly Mother's help is key. And we can talk to her too. Um, you know, we pray to Heavenly Father, but we can also say, Heavenly Mother, what do you think? Um, I know you love me so much. And, you know, I love my daughter, my baby girl, but my wife's love for her is just like astronomical. Like I love her with everything I have, but then my wife's love for her is just like times 10. You know, it's just, a, it's just a woman's love and a mother's love for her child. And so we're so, we're so blessed to have two heavenly parents. And I think utilizing both of them um, because they each have different and powerful strengths to help us is, is key. Love that. We have a really good podcast back there about um, Heavenly Mother. Um, and I do think culturally, I think we've created a feeling we don't, but I think doctrinally, she needs to be more a part of our lives. Right. And you're right. We pray to Heavenly Father. And one, the, one of the guests on the podcast said, we, we pray to Heavenly Father in something like this. Heavenly Father, would you please ask Heavenly Mother <laughs> to help me? And let her know this is how I'm feeling and how I'd yeah. like you to help her, you know, so. Dad, will you ask mom, please? It's sort of like that. <laughs> and, and maybe, and maybe that's doctrine the way it will always be, but maybe we'll learn to mm -hmm. um, look. I don't know. I don't want to get into potential changes in doctrine, but <laughs> we both just support our current doctrine, but we both recognize the role of Heavenly Mother. Yeah. I think as part of these being the last days, we need her in our lives. Uh I'm going to read tip number six because it follows up with what you said. Believing, believe in the Savior's healing power. Jesus Christ can help you overcome, help you in the growing process of repentance, and he has the power to enable you to strive to overcome pornography. He understands how you feel and is waiting to take this burden from you. 
don't think to, to him adds to his burden. He has already paid the price for you. Instead, do your best. Come close to the Savior and ask him to help you heal, to change your desires, and to give you strength to move forward. And then I quote from Elder Sorez of the Twelve. But I've heard culturally that, you know, every we'll talk about pornography. Every time someone messes up with pornography, it's adding to Satan's burden. Sorry, to the Savior's burden. And maybe even we've assumed we're back to square one so that all the work we've done, one mess up and we're back to square one. And I, those are both lies. Mm-hmm. I, Savior's paid the price for all of our sins, all of our past, current, and future sins. That's done. Yeah. So if you mess, I think it's one of the things that creates shame that makes it harder to overcome it is you feel so bad for the Savior, somebody you love. You've just added to his burden because you messed up again. Then you just feel more crappy and more likely to, uh, and less likely to solve it. So don't do that. And, and I don't think you're back to square one. I, I look at it this way. You're one day closer to solving this. Yeah. So don't look backwards, look forwards. And, and that's where I get into point number five is the difference between lapsed and relapse. Um, lapse is where you mess up, but you quickly recover and le- use it as a learning experience to improve your prevention plan, which I talk about in step four. Um, don't conclude all your progress is lost and the work you've done doesn't count because it does. Look forward with a positive attitude and know you're one day closer to recovery. While um, lap, relapse is just where you binge, you give up and you just, and so my advice is stay off of the relapse road. I love that. Lapse is a step back and it's a mess up. I don't want to take that off the table, but if you can look at it in a pragmatic, positive way and go back to your prevention plan and say, what happened? Um, Was it four days of not scripture study? Was it five days of stress of a final? Was it six days of, and you can kind of, or did I get bullied like you were Mm -hmm. dealing with? You know, what, what happened? And then write that in your prevention plan. Uh, the prevention plan I talk about is not part of your journal. It's not something you give to anybody. It's just a written prevention plan for you personally. That's an ongoing living document that just helps you in your journey to solve this. But writing often empowers the cognitive part of your brain to have more control when that chemical spill starts. One of the wise days taught me, Bishop, it's like a chemical spill that it gets, I get triggered. I have that chemical spill and that's where agency really kicks in. And I like that. Because mm-hmm. I love that you're not shaming the chemical spill. And to me, there's just triggers that come in that I don't think are sin-related. Yeah. Um, and everybody's triggers are different. And it starts the cycle. The chemical spill has started, and you're just feeling the beginning of the cycle. You can just feel it. And I think then that's where your prevention plan kicks in. And I think you still have agency at that point. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the cognitive side of your brain can hit stay in there and pull you out. I think that trigger will pass. That chemical spill will be, will, well, I don't know what the right word end. So I'm going to send it back to you, Drew, just thoughts on that. Or Yeah, I love that. I think I want to add to your, what you said um, concerning, you know, when we, there's always something to learn from it. And six months ago, when I was having more frequent lapses, um, I would say to myself, gosh, like what's going on? Like, I can't, I, I can't, I'm obviously not learning from these experiences because I'm repeating them. 
But six months later today, sitting here, having been clean for a while, I can actually see like, oh, I learned from every single one of those. And um, to anyone listening to this who needs this, it's just like, it may be hard to, to connect the dots right now, but I promise like six months, a year down the road, you'll look back and you'll say, oh my gosh, I learned from that experience and I thought I didn't. Or, oh my gosh, that experience helped me to realize I need to put my phone away after 10 p.m. Or I need to sleep with my door open, you know, or I need to have my roommate come in the room and, and just have a talk with me five minutes before bed. So I'm not just like doing whatever on my phone, you know? And so everything, if you, if you try to make it a learning experience will be a learning experience. And, um, while you were talking, I just had this thought come to my, my head and, um, president Packer, uh, I never really got into his talks when he was alive, uh, just because he wasn't the most engaging speaker for me. But now since he's passed, I've gone back and read his talks and his talks about forgiveness and repentance are like, oh, yes, I, just, cool. I, I love him so much. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to share a quote from one of his talks. And I actually kept it as my background for on my phone for a little while because it just helped me so much. And, and, and um, the quote says, the atonement leaves no tracks, no traces. What it fixes is fixed. It just heals. And what it heals stays healed. The atonement, which can reclaim each one of us, bears no scars. That means, not, that, means that no matter what we have done or where we have been or how something happened, if we truly repent, the Savior has promised that he would atone. And when he atoned, that settled that. The atonement can wash clean every stain, no matter how difficult or how long or how many times repeated. And that just is like, that was just music to my ears because I needed to hear that however many times you mess up, it's all good. Um, he doesn't remember your sins and he loves you and, and wants you to move forward. And so for anyone that's just bummed because they can't seem to get over it or something, however many times you repeat it, as long as you truly repent and you know, that, that may mean different things to different people. That may mean confessing every time. That may mean, you know, repenting and being sincere and, and, and whatnot. But as long as you truly repent the best way you know how and move forward, it's settled. We, we, we have someone who took care of that. And now it's time for us to pick ourselves back up and, and put the needed blockers and barriers in place and, and move forward. Talk to somebody that's single and has a, has an existing porn problem and wants your advice on when to talk to their girlfriend or boyfriend about that. I mean, if it's existing, um, it can be scary because you don't want to talk about it with someone and, and they'll say, oh gosh, get away from me. You know, you're, you're messed up or something like that. But that, that may also mean that they're not, they're not the right person for you because there's, there's people out there that will do that. But there's also people out there that will be really understanding. And that's what that individual needs. Um, and so if you're currently struggling with it and you're dating somebody, just talk, talk about it. Bring it out into the open. Um, and be honest because I think the number one thing that 
can crush a relationship as dishonesty and secrets. And um, you think you can you think you can hide it, and that you're good at hiding it, but eventually something will happen, and it'll be a slip up, or your girlfriend or boyfriend will find something, and it's just a lot better to take responsibility and fess up and say this is something I struggle with. I completely understand if, if this is too much for you um, because that's part of it. You have to be able to see their side of it as well um, and say, this is something I, I want to work through with you. Can you see yourself sticking with me and helping me through this because I really want to get through this? And if you can, I understand, but if you're willing to do that, it would be amazing. And then you just, they have their agency and they have their choice. And if they stick with you, then it's time to be vulnerable and, and bring it all out into the open and work together. And if not, then you'll find someone who will. And that's, that's the key is to just keep moving forward and not get too discouraged and um, be vulnerable, be courageous, and, and take responsibility. I like your answer. It's a great answer. And I just, I think the myth is that if you don't talk about it, that'll end when you get married. And then I think to Drew's point, it has bigger risk in your relationship. I think it's, uh, I think it's okay to, if you've got an existing pornography problem to say that, and to sort of accept the reality that this may not end with marriage, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to do everything you can to have this end. Um, but I think, and it, I don't want to take goal off the table for you that you want. So if you feel differently, please. But I think it's a more realistic goal is we will continue to talk about this and I will do everything I can to put this behind me. But if I slip up, I'm going to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be this conversation, well, once we get married, and because it's not about sex. Mm-hmm. It's about dealing with stress, anxiety. It can be sort of sexual. Um, we certainly understand that, but often if those same triggers exist and just becoming sexually active with married, marriage, I think I thought as a YSA bishop at first, well, that'll just end it for everybody. But then I recognize that's not true. And you're being honest with your own journey, which is courageous and because other people hope. So I think you've got to use the principles that Jews talking about is just honesty and vulnerability and communication and trust. Talk about this idea, and I've had some mixed people share different opinions about this, about if you're married and you've got an ongoing challenge, should your spice, should you be accountable to you? I think you need to be accountable to somebody. Um, But should your spouse be that person or, or can it over define your relationship if you are accountable to your spouse every time? Um, Because then your spouse sort of assumes this role as, as police person or. Right. And I, and I don't have, I don't think a uniform answer applies to every marriage, but do you have any thoughts on that for a couple, for somebody trying to figure that out? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really great question to consider. And uh, I've had the, those same questions, you know, come to my mind um, because you're obviously telling your spouse every single time you, you know, you have a lapse or whatever can, be really damaging. Um, but at the same time, I think you want to, it depends on, on your personal circumstance. 
obviously I, I don't believe in, in keeping secrets in marriage. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a secret if you personally think that, you know, I told my bishop, I'm working through this. Uh, my spouse generally knows that this is something that I struggle with. Um, and I think it depends on the severity of the lapse. I think it depends on, um, you know, the spirit guiding you to say something or not say something. And also depends on how, um, how accountable you are to other people. And so I don't want it to come across like you're keeping secrets from your spouse, um, or your partner or whatever. But at the end of the day, like you said, you need to be accountable to somebody. And I think that first and foremost, you're accountable to God. And then from there, based on individual circumstance and timing, um, you're accountable to others around you, whether it's a spouse or, you know, your bishop and things like that. And so obviously, I mean, I've, I've been in situations and had friends who have, um, had this pornography problem and they didn't tell their spouse every single time that they had a lapse or whatever, because they, um, didn't feel it was necessary because their spouse already knew that they had a, a issue with it, but they were working through it. And I've had other friends who have had apps on their phone and their wives had the same app. And every single time they looked, it popped up on the app. And so the wife knew, and, um, it just depends on, on person circumstance and how open you are with your spouse and, uh, your, you know, it's, it's a tough question to answer, but I think for each individual, as long as you pray about it and have good intentions and want to do the right thing and, and, um, are open about it, then you'll know what to do. It's a good answer. And I think you can be in a situation where you sort of have a discussion with your spouse and say, okay, this is, I'm working on this. I've got an ongoing pornography problem. What let's talk about, I need to be accountable to somebody. Do you want to be that person? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather not be that person? Would you rather sort of get a monthly update or a two monthly update? And I'm just accountable to Bishop. But if, if it progresses into this space or that space or increased frequency, I'm accountable to you. And so there's sort of an ongoing agreement and yeah. there's not sort of this elephant in the room where I, I know my spouse has a pornography problem, but I don't quite know how much. And he, yeah. he just never laid the ground rules. Mm-hmm. And so. I think it comes back to the trust. Um, and so I think every couple needs to manage that. Um, but I think it also comes back to common goals. If you're in the middle of this, I think you've got to, um, I mean, some people would say, well, leave him and he's not being faithful. And that's certainly, it's sort of like what you said to somebody that's dating somebody that comes out. I, I think if you're, if you're dating somebody and they come out to you with a pornography problem, you need to feel permission to end that relationship. I think you said that, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't just say have a hard rule there that every guy I date or every woman I date that has a pornography problem, I'm ending the relationship because you may end up marrying somebody. You may end up, you know, not marrying the person that's actually really right for you. Mm -hmm. No one's perfect. And that's just a more obvious one. (laughs) And so I think you've got to go by the spirit and not have sort of these, you know, binary um, answers. I want to talk a little bit about, and I have never been a bishop of a home ward, um, but I've had four sons and I've had really good bishops. And I've, you know, there's, when the, when someone goes and confess to the bishop, I, I've always felt like they should leave the bishop's office. It's, it takes, it's, this is maybe me talking to other bishops or local leaders. 
Um, it takes so much courage to do that. Um, I mean, I did some of that way back, but it's been so long, I can't remember much about it. <laughs> remember Bishop Salisbury, but anyway, I just think we as priesthood leaders need to be um, prepared to, to know what we'll do when someone talks to us about um, complicated stuff. And I think everybody needs to leave the bishop's office feeling, you know, that they have, that feel better about themselves and feel hope. Because I think that's what Christ, I think no one really usually needs a lecture. If they're coming into the bishop's office, they know what they've done is wrong. I don't think they need to be reminded too much or comments like, what were you thinking? Or gosh, you're messing up your eternal salvation. It's, I think they need to feel your love. And I think you need to ask open-ended questions. Um, for sexual sin, I don't think you need to pry very much. I think you just need a general idea. Mm. That's a whole nother podcast, especially <laughs> if you're, a, you know, talking to a young woman. Um, I think we need to do better in that area. Um, so that's a whole nother podcast. But I think everybody needs to feel leaving the bishop's office better. Masturbation, we talked about in episode 13, just me alone, my thoughts on that. That was, um, the YSAs were all over the place on how serious or not serious that was. Um, there's a lot of misinformation, I think, because we don't, we're not, we don't talk about that sin without pornography, just masturbation on itself very much. And so a lot of the YSAs didn't really recognize they all recognized it was a sin, but they just kind of didn't know on a one to 10 scale, just where it ranked in. And you can listen to that episode, but I think if somebody opens up, if you're in a home ward and someone opens up to you with masturbation and pornography, I, I would go, I would be careful about what restrictions you're going to put on them as far as taking the sacrament in particular. Um, that may be the right thing to do, but there's so much shame in a home ward for not taking the sacrament, sitting next to your parents and sitting with everybody that sometimes are worried that creates more problems than the sin in the first place. Hmm. And you just don't want to come to church. You don't, you just feel like scum and now you're not taking the sacrament from your parents. And it's just now performing an ordinance, like being on the priest table is a little different. Um, to me, taking the sacrament is, move, is more about looking forward and what are your goals going forward versus looking back as a penalty. There's nothing in the handbook that sort of says you can't take the sacrament if you've got a problem with pornography and masturbation. So I would just say, I think you've got to work with each person to feel like, would it help you not to take the sacrament as a motivation or as a tool to help you solve this? Or does it just feel like it adds to your load? So I just think we, we need to create a culture of non-shame because I think that helps us do better. Any thoughts on any of that, Drew? No, I love that. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. I don't have anything to add. Um, I want to just, I want to talk about, do you, are there things you want to talk about? Why don't you talk about your new book? Oh, sure. Let's <laughs> talk about that. Okay. Um, well, yeah, my, uh, my new book will be coming out sometime in December. Not quite sure yet. Uh, the title is Stand Guard at the Door of Your Mind. So it's basically my, personal experiences as well as those a lot more, uh, a lot wiser than I am uh, on different topics such as um, suicide, bullying, pornography, um, 
I discussed the difference between success and failure and attitude diseases and why it all starts with thinking in our lives and how thinking drives our actions and then who we ultimately become. So I'm really excited for it. Um, it's not necessarily a, um, a church book, but there's definitely some Christian references in there. So it's, it's a lot more uh, universally applicable than my first book, which I'm excited for other people to, to read it and have the audience grow a little bit. I just love you've got a second book coming out. And you told me before we went live, there's a third book in the pipeline. And I just, I, I just think you have a unique life mission Thank to you. vulnerably talk about sensitive topics to help others. I, I read this quote. I'm sure I read it on your other podcast you did with us. It's The Wounded Healer by Henry Noron. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks, the great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. So you are the wounded healer, and those DMs you're getting, those messages you're getting, those reviews you're getting are people you're healing. And that you're not doing this to feel good. You're doing this to heal and help other people. But what you're able to do, because you're vulnerable with your own journey, makes that possible. Hmm. Thank and you. Elder Holland did that in his talk about the broken vessel. And I think we need to normalize that in our culture. We have this toxic perfectionism. Sometimes we're just this dissonance between we're projecting this perfect front to everybody in our families, in our marriages, in our personal life, in our spiritual journey. But on the other side of our head, it's really complicated. And yeah. that dissonance can lead to a lot of difficult feelings. Um, but I think as we're appropriately a vulnerable, we're able to feel better about ourselves and be able to help people. I want you to talk to parents. Um, we're in a ward now where we've been in the ward 20 years, and now there's a whole new wave of, of young families that remind uh, my wife and I of, of us when we moved into this ward 20 plus years ago, and we had young kids. Our youngest now is out of the house and married. And I just sense, like I was 20 years ago, but even more so now, these parents with young kids that are you know, sixth grade and younger. So likely not in exposed to pornography, all that can be starting as you're going to, as you know, the stats, but talk to parents that want to, that know, they just want to protect their kids from pornography. Yeah. I think at first it starts with creating a family culture of, um, not discussing the negativity of sin, but the positivity of repentance. I think it's a really powerful comment. Yeah. Just say that again. Parents not discussing the negativity of sin, but the positivity of repentance. Um, I think a, a lot of parents um, have talked a lot to their kids about, you know, don't do this, don't go here. You know, we don't do this. Um, this sin is very bad. And the intention is, is really good. They want to keep their kids protected. But at the same time, what you're really doing is, is keeping your kids from coming to talk to you because they will go and do those things and they will go to those places, but they'll feel so bad about it because you told them not to that they'll hide it or they'll, they'll try and go somewhere else to, to reveal it to people. And, um, and so kind of my, my philosophy is we don't just want to keep people away from the bad stuff saying, because it's bad. We want to keep people away from the bad stuff by saying, you know, this is why these are the positive things that can come from 
being clean. These are the positive things that can come from doing this and that. But I know that you're going to mess up. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the statistics are showing that typically the first pornography consumption is around age 11. And that that age is getting more and, and more lower, uh, just as, you know, social media and different things like that. And, and everyone's getting a cell phone. Well, what parents can do is just create an environment of, of hope and of come talk to us. I think if parents are vulnerable as well, that'll help. A lot of parents just try and not talk about past things and um, as to maybe to not give off a sense of it's okay to do those things. But I think when we talk about our weaknesses and our flaws, it makes it safe for other people to come to us and say, you know, I'm actually struggling with this too. Because they don't think, oh, they'll just get mad at me. They'll think, oh, they'll understand me. And so positivity, not negativity, I would say. <laughs> I love that. And I think it's creating a culture where the parents are safe. And, and, you, and you still teach the doctor and you still teach about pornography, but you create an expectation where you'll just love them. And I think that comes in directly a lot by the way you talk about other people in the car or in, you know, somebody in your ward that's messed up or somebody that's gotten divorced or somebody that's left the church or somebody that's lost their job or somebody that didn't do, I, I think it's okay, obviously, to be aware of that and maybe talk to your spouse, but I think you've got to create a culture as you're, as parents, as you're really kind to other people in your conversation, because I'm thinking of all your kids in the car, if they just hear those conversations of judgment and talking mm -hmm. negatively about people, I think it just creates a feeling that I don't want to be that person for my parents. I don't want to be, and, and it may just isolate them in the, how they, in what's going on in their life versus if you're talking, and even LGBTQ people, that's something I've talked about in the podcast when I just posted a couple things as a YSA Bishop kind to LGBTQ people, no more LGBTQ people came out to me, but it was fascinating. This about just a bunch of straight people <laughs> said, okay, I can talk to the Bishop. Mm -hmm. This guy is safe. It's mm -hmm. the, and it was the first adult they talked to about stuff going on in their life. It, sometimes it wasn't even sin related. It's just yeah. really complicated stuff. Yeah. Um, one was sexual abuse. They had been a victim of sexual abuse and mm. they'd never felt comfortable talking to an adult about that. Mm. And so that was, I wish I'd learned that principle a long time ago, Drew. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one of the beauties of being an LGBTQ ally or an ally of marginalized groups or an ally of, you know, undocumented workers or people of different races or just any group that Christ, and I think that's what Christ did so well in his ministry that I think it created a feeling that we would be safe around Christ because he was with the woman at the well. He was at the Canaanite woman. He was at the pool of Bethesda. So I think if I'm living in Christ's day, Drew, and I want to talk to him about what's going on in my life, and I actually got a one-on-one -on -one with him, I think what I would see from his personal ministry is he is safe for me to open up about what's really going on in my life because of the way he lived his life. Mm. And so I think you're exactly right. I think perhaps the goal for parents isn't to make sure your kids never sin. It's to be able to, and you said this, is recognize that my kids are going to mess up and it's likely they're going to have some experience with pornography. And, and there's no way just to legislate that out. 
Mm-hmm. I can put all the filters in my home, but the real the reality they're going to be in other places with other access. And so my goal is to create um, a way that they're going to talk to me about this, and they know that I will. And I think you've got to talk about it. I think you've got to say, you know, this is the rule. This is. But we, if you mess up with pornography, if you see it, talk to us. Mm-hmm. And this is how we'll handle that conversation. Mm-hmm. And and do that at fifth grade, fourth grade, you know, third grade, second grade, so that they know that. Yeah. More th- any more thoughts come to you on all that? No, I think you 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 knocked it on the head. So we did that. I remember one of the things that we did early. We could have done better on this subject, but I remember. Once one day, one of our second graders came home and they said a really bad word. It was like a really bad one. <laughs> and I just had an impression to respond this way. I said, I can't remember which kid it was. I said, you know, you don't realize that that's one of the bad words. We need to, you can always come and tell us a new word you hear at school. And you can even say it innocently. And we will tell you if it's a good or bad word, and you won't be in trouble for that. Hmm. And because we recognize you don't know all the bad words, and you will pick up some vocabulary that you don't realize. So we won't make any shame. We won't point at you and won't get all nervous about it. We'll just create a culture where you can tell us any word you hear. Hmm. And I wish I'd broadened that, Drew, to just all these different categories. Right. Like if you mess up with alcohol, you hmm. know that's against our family teachings, but we want you to tell us. Yeah. And this is how we'll handle that. Yeah. I love that. So, um, I put on Instagram today, this quote, um, it's kind of consistent with what we're talking about. Your heavenly parents love you now. They love you on your worst days and your best days. They love you when you're not sure you love yourself. And I feel strongly about this part. It's not earned. It's not a transaction. It's there because you are their child. Turn to them. They love you. I think sometimes we have this transactional relationship with God that we, you know, to get, to earn God's love, we have to do all these things. And that's certainly true to, for our eternal salvation. There's a path and a a bunch of things we need to do that that involve what we know. But this ability to be loved by heavenly parents to me isn't transactional. It's Mm. there just because we're their children. Any thoughts that come to your mind on that? Yeah, I mean, the words earned or deserve aren't found anywhere in the scriptures. Um, nowhere in the topical guide, nowhere in the Bible dictionary. We don't earn or deserve anything. And it's the, it's the concept of grace that just because we are, that's why we're loved. And it's hard for us to understand sometimes because Sometimes we're taught we need to do things to get rewarded and, and whatnot. But, you know, God's love isn't unconditional. He has conditions. Um, he loves us unconditionally, but there's conditions in which we receive blessings and uh, return back to his presence. But it doesn't mean that we have to earn it in some way. Um, he loves us because we are his and that'll never change. Love that. Talk in this last segment. Anything more you want to talk about pornography for our listeners? No, I'm good. I want you to end on suicide because this is one of the other topics you're willing to talk about. I printed out another Facebook post here. I contemplated suicide at age 19. I did so because I couldn't see other any other way to end the emotional and 
mental pain I was facing. And you don't have to read the whole post. I'm sending it over to you that on the other side of the table. We're social distancing in these podcasts, by the way. <laughs> we never talk about that, but we do. Yeah. Well, you're really good about talking about this space, partly because you're the wounded healer and mm. you know the desert of feeling suicidal. Talk to people, talk to listeners that are suicidal. What would you say to them? We need you here. I know you feel like you aren't needed here or that people don't care or that you're so deep in the, the depths of despair and discouragement, depression. Uh, but you are needed. And I totally get how you're feeling, why you want to leave, but just stay with us a little longer. Um, reach out for help. People will run to you to help you and, and to, to create a safe place for you. And you'll be able to connect the dots and just stay a little longer, reach out to someone you love and don't be afraid to be vulnerable and people will come running to your aid. That's great. Tell our listeners how to find you on social media. Yeah. So you can, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my Username is Mr. Drew B. Young. And obviously I'm on Facebook and have these books. And and Facebook, you're Drew Young. Yep. Facebook, I'm Drew Young. So yeah, I just, I love to, to help and influence. So come one, come all. <laughs> I encourage our listeners to consider using Drew for a Zoom fireside. If you, I mean, I can't think of anybody that I, I mean, that's, I don't want to be too dramatic here because if President Nelson could do a Zoom fireside with your wife, with your youth in your ward, that would be pretty awesome. But um, I think Drew just has a beautiful life mission and a unique life mission. So, you know, use him. Um, I, Thank you. Um, for Zoom events, I assume you're asked to do some of those speaking yeah. firesides, mm -hmm. and I think you're especially great for the youth. I'm more than willing. And the YSAs, because you can just authentically help them and lead them out of these deserts. Um, so that's the end of our podcast. I encourage you to um, check out Drew's book, The Meaning of Your Mission. Um, that's on Amazon and, and other places. I encourage you to go to the October Ensign, the YSA digital section, if you want to check out my seven tips for overcoming pornography use. Um, it's sort of not an article about don't look at pornography. It's, it's more on if this is part of your journey, this is, you know, thoughts mostly from the YSAs who taught me this space, um, how to do better. And, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Oster. Thank you.